2: Blue Iron. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to
0: 49ers. We believe we found the right guy.
1: Garoppolo, quick pass caught by Kittle. He dives and he's in. Touchdown.
2: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento. Bee. with me. As always, it's Kyle Madsen of the newly redesigned NinersWire.com of the USA Today Sports Media Group.
1: He's also a producer at 95.7 The Game. Kyle, what's going on, buddy? Um, hanging out. Just watched the Warriors win at Chase Center for the first time all year. They beat the Blazers. We're recording this on a Monday night, and this is our like fifth try at recording this, so I'm ready to get the road on the show.
2: Yeah, it's been kind <laughs> of a rough go, um, and we, we apologize for, for recording this well after the Thursday game. As you mentioned, it's it's Monday night. Um, I had a very late night on Thursday after the game. I was up till, till probably about two, writing and, and churning out content for the masses, and then uh, had to be up. I don't know, three or four hours later. And uh, by the time I got home to write about the Quan Alexander news, there just really wasn't much left in the tank in terms of recording a podcast. And we wanted our listeners to enjoy their long weekends. Uh, So we are back recording Monday night. We're going to quickly run through the most important themes from that Thursday game against the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, But first, we do have to talk about Quan Alexander's injury. 49ers linebacker suffered a torn pectoral I think it was at some point in the fourth quarter I don't I don't never saw exactly which play it was but pretty significant injury given that Alexander has been sort of the emotional spark plug to the 49ers defense and and he's brought a lot of energy Uh, he he really helped change the mentality of it and that was apparent in, in training camp so Um, Alexander has been, you know, a key player in the best defense in in the NFC. And, and as good as he has been though, I do think Dre Greenlaw is going to be a good player, the rookie fifth round pick from Arkansas. Um, so from a production standpoint, I don't think there's going to be too much of a drop off because while Greenlaw is, is young, he's, he's relatively experienced given the fact that he was a four year starter in the SEC before getting drafted and he's plenty fast. He has all the physical tools you want, but what he doesn't have is the experience and the attitude that Quan Alexander brought. So, Kyle, I'm curious as to your take on the injury and how the 49ers proceed moving forward.
1: Yeah, I'm 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 most fascinated to see how exactly they respond emotionally. I I, I think they can make up for for what he the vacancy he leaves from, from an on-field production standpoint, I think they're, they're talented enough to make up for that, but can they get that? Cause he's kind of the heartbeat of that defense and trying to find that emotional spark sometimes um, is, is the difference between winning and losing a game. So how they are able to do that, how they're able to respond um, emotionally is, is really what I'm, I'm looking at a bunch of 49ers posted on, various social media after the announcement that alexander was out for the year that they're going to have to be extra fired up and it's going to take all 11 guys to to make up for his energy and i think that speaks volumes about a what alexander brings as a player but b the responsibility that this defense knows uh they they have on them now
2: yeah and dre greenlaw is somebody who the 49ers have liked very early on in the process and and it was pretty clear probably in OTAs he was going to give Malcolm Smith an expensive veteran a run for his roster spot. And he ultimately ended, ended up winning the starting Sam linebacker job, which is that third in line linebacker spot, which is on the field and base downs. And so, you know, despite Malcolm Smith giving the 49ers or, or forcing them to pay, I think over 4 million in dead money, the 49ers thought it was, it was worth it to, to open up that, that playing time for Greenlaw. So He's somebody who impressed in OTAs. He impressed early on in training camp. He's super athletic. He's, he's very smart. And he did play a lot in college, like I mentioned. So we'll have to see if there's going to be a drop-off. I'd imagine, just given the way the defensive line has been playing and the way the secondary has been playing, that we will have to see how the 49ers do react from an emotional standpoint, like you said. But the good news is, for San Francisco, is it looks like they're going to get their left tackle, Joe Staley, back this week against the Seahawks. Same for Kyle Juszczyk, and there's a chance that Mike McGlinchey and Akella Witherspoon are also back for this game. So a slew of guys, the 49ers, have been missing for the past few weeks could be back, and, and that's going to be obviously a very important game Monday night at Levi's Stadium, and we're going to talk about that when we preview that game later in the week. Um, and George Kittle, too, he had he had an MRI on Friday after uh, he looked like he banged his knee on a helmet, the first play of the game, he ended up playing six catches on eight targets, 79 yards and a touchdown uh, came out in the game late in the fourth quarter. Uh, he said afterwards that his knee was so sore that he, he thought he was a detriment to the team more than more than an asset at that point. That's, that's the way his knee was feeling. And look, if Kittle's going to say that, I, I believe him because, you know, he's a guy who's played through a ton of injuries and a ton of pain uh, throughout his young career to this point so um it sounds like Kittle ultimately is going to be fine over the long run and and he'll benefit from having the extra time off between the Thursday game and then the Monday game but let's talk about this this win against the Cardinals 28-25 in the desert on a short week on the road um you and I talked about it on this podcast before Kyle like we were waiting for the Jimmy Garoppolo performance where he won the team the game like the, to this point the 49ers haven't needed much from garoppolo in, because the defense and, and the running game have been so effective really just sort of making him a, a game manager type right and and so yeah. in this game he completed 28 passes and 37 attempts at 76 percent 317 yards the first time he's gone over 300 yards this season Um, the 136.9 passer rating was the best of any start of his career. He was 11 of 17 or the 49ers converted 11 of 17 on third down, which is 65%, which is about as good as you're going to do in the league. Um, I just thought it was a really good game from Garoppolo. He was doing things under pressure. He was, um, evading pass rushers, keeping his eyes downfield. He was getting rid of the ball on time and on, he was accurate. Um, he just, he had a lot of throws that made you say, wow. And then you remembered, yeah, this was the, this was a guy in 2017 that everybody was so excited about. Yeah. So I think if you're the 49ers, you have to be happy with, with the fact that you finally get that type of performance from Garoppolo because he'd seen flashes of it throughout the first half of the year, but n- never, uh, he, he hadn't done it with multiple throws like he, like he did in that game Thursday night.
1: Yeah, there were there were a couple things. He didn't do anything, like you said. He didn't do anything new. He didn't do anything that we didn't know he was capable of doing, which is encouraging that he can put more starts like this together down the stretch. It wasn't like, oh, wait, he has that in his bag that like, he can do that? Like, No, this is just... It was a culmination of all the good qualities that the 49ers saw in him when when they gave him his big contract. And it wouldn't surprise me if we start seeing a little bit more of this going forward because he was so good and he did everything that like Garoppolo was the last question with this team. We knew the run game was solid. We, we know the defense is really good. It it was just, can, can Garoppolo win them a game when the run game isn't there and and the defense falters. And that's what happened uh, on Thursday night. The defense was gassed late and didn't really have any answers for Arizona's offense. Hey, climb back into the game, the run game, I think averaged like 3.3 yards a carry. Like they, they weren't very good on the ground and and they needed their quarterback and Garoppolo went out and made every play they needed.
2: And Kyle Shanahan hasn't said it, but I think it's been pretty apparent that he's been doing what he can to make sure he's not overloading Garoppolo and putting too much on his shoulders in terms of needing him to, to win games. I think part of his plan has been to ease Garoppolo back into things coming off the knee injury and saying, all right, we're, we're going to roll the ball really well. We're going to put you in very favorable positions. We're not going to take too many deep shots. I think Garoppolo is, is uh in terms of t- deep shot rate. I think he's throwing like some pro football focus has him at, at something like 8%, which is, I think the second few or the second lowest percentage in the league in terms of starting quarterbacks throwing deep. Um, so they're, they're doing what they can to make things easy on him. And I think just the way the game script went on Thursday was, all right, the defense is is struggling in the second half. The running game is is clearly not nearly as effective as it was the previous game. He had a few really good throws to Emmanuel Sanders. A lot of people were talking about the one where he threw it three or four steps before Sanders broke outside. And by the time he whipped his head around, the ball was right in his lap. Um, he had another one I thought later in the game where he was sort of off platform, uh, bear with Chandler Jones bearing down on him that with his with his feet perpendicular to the line of scrimmage or parallel to the line of scrimmage he just sort of flipped it out there for for a nice gain on a third down conversion. Um, just a really a really good start from Garoppolo um, that we haven't seen yet, and and I think it's important because. You know, you look at the the early portion of the season or the first half of it, the 49ers have had to win a bunch of different ways. And, uh, and a lot of it has come down to how well the defense is played and and the running game complementing that. But they haven't needed Garoppolo, maybe aside from that Steelers game week three when they turned the ball over five times. But they haven't needed Garoppolo to just basically win a game with his arm because nothing else was working. Um, so yeah, I do think that's, that's the most notable thing to, to come out of Thursday was the fact that, okay, Jimmy Garoppolo is, is looking like the version of himself in 2017. And I guess now uh, over the second half of the season, if you're the 49ers, you want to see if he can build on that because there are going to be playoff games probably where they're going to need him to, to win like that with his arm.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think the, the last third down conversion where it was third and nine and he drops back, he faces pressure, steps up in the pocket, starts to run, and then right as he gets to the line of scrimmage, found Ross Dwelly, made an accurate throw where Dwelly could could get across the first down marker uh, by a couple yards and seal the game. It was just the decisiveness to step up in the pocket and then to continue looking downfield after, after taking off running and then delivering an accurate throw to the backup tight end. Like, you just, it felt like, it felt like a transformative performance from from Garoppolo in that it wasn't, you know, George Kittle wasn't available. And the last play of the game, he wasn't throwing it, just locked into Emmanuel Sanders. It looked like early on in the game and through through other parts of the, the year that he just kind of locks onto George Kittle because I don't think he had a lot of faith in the receiving core. And that just wasn't the case on Thursday night. And I think the entire offense took a step forward that I think everybody was kind of waiting for them to take.
2: Yeah. And I think Emmanuel Sanders has a lot to do with that. And we're going to talk about him a little bit later on, but let's talk about the defense uh, because I I think, you know, a lot of people are going to come out of it like, Oh, the Niners defense looks human and, and blah, blah, blah. Like, I I guess that's fine. The 357 yards they allowed was the most on the year. Um, But on a short week, I do think it's a pretty tough ask, particularly when you're going against an up-tempo offense that you've never faced before um, on the road. And the 49ers only allowed 82 yards in the first half. So it was looking like it was one of those games where the defense had the clamps on the opponent. And then it was pretty clear about midway through the third quarter that the energy simply just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And the Cardinals going up-tempo and then getting runs from Kyler Murray for first downs and the 49ers just really not doing a good job on defending the run and Kenyon Drake overall. And, you know, we'll talk about this too, probably later in the week, but the Niners run defense hasn't been particularly good. So since the bye week the 49ers are are allowing well over five yards per carry. um, And they allowed a hundred yard rushers for the first time this year against Carolina and against Kenyon Drake, who had 110 yards on just 15 carries. And it started again, with that first drive, which has been sort of a theme for road games. But I just think midway through that third quarter, the defense started a little gassed. And I, and I think Kyler Murray scrambling for a few first downs. I, I think it was a little bit demoralizing from them, just from, from an emotional standpoint, from an emotional energy standpoint. And for the first time this season, you know, the the relentlessness that we've seen the 49ers play with on that side of the ball just wasn't there. Um, and so obviously that's problematic. And and the 49ers were playing with the two-score lead for most of the game. Um, but I think they, they really hit a lull, which led to some mental mistakes uh, in the fourth quarter, in, including that 88-yard touchdown uh, for Andy Isabella when you saw Richard Sherman and Jimmy Ward just completely overrun the play and leave Isabella a wide-open lane in the middle of the field after he made that catch you know, it was like three guys essentially made mistakes on that play with Emmanuel Mosley taking a bad angle to the ball and the ball, which was a well-thrown ball from, from Kyler Murray, but the ball went right over Emmanuel Mosley's hands, allowing uh, Isabella to make the catch. And then Sherman and Ward were both right there to finish the play, but they overran it. And Isabella just runs right by him for the 88 yard score. And then you Know the 49ers didn't defend the two point conversion very well, it was just an easy pitch and catch to Drake, and so you know it. it the 49ers defense did look human, but I, I think, and, and Richard Sherman, I guess, I, after the game, that was the most upset I've actually ever seen. Richard Sherman, um, and and I think you know, part of that is just him trying to relay to the rest of the team what the message is and that the standard is so much higher than, than how the 49ers played. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I do think that's, that's a little bit interesting now that we're to the point where Sherman is not happy with a, no, he's focusing more on, you know, the mistakes the team made. And and he talked about the process being more important than the results And the process on Thursday was making too many mistakes, mental errors, and you know, the the short week and all that is is basically a a series of excuses and the 49ers should have played better defensively. So, you know, I, I look at that sort of reading between the lines that Sherman is doing what he can to make sure the defense has an edge going into this game against the Seahawks because you know, it would have been easy for the 49ers to go, you know, okay, we're eight. No, we're fine. We got a big game coming up, et cetera, et cetera. But with, with them not playing particularly well, and in the fourth quarter of that game, they're going to go into this week against Seattle with a little bit more focus because that effort on Thursday was what probably won't be enough against the Seahawks. And they'll be, they'll need to be, you know, the version of the defense that was the best in the conference through the first seven games.
1: Um, if they're going to beat Seattle in that important one on uh, on Monday. Well, I think you hit it right on the head there when you mentioned how good they were through the first seven games. That's why I, I know we react on a week-to-week basis because that's our job. But really, when you look at the 49ers defense and are evaluating their performance on a short week against a brand-new offense— that that is that is very exotic and unique in the NFL. The, the Cardinals are doing stuff offensively that nobody else really does. And Robert Sala mentioned in his in his press conference during the week how much more difficult that is to prepare for. I think we just saw the 49ers caught off guard a little bit and and when we have a seven game sample size of them being a really dominant defense, it's hard to look at that one game and go, wow, you know what? it it erased all that they might not be very good I I just I don't know there's there's you take away if somebody makes a tackle on the Andy Isabella 88 yard touchdown uh, if somebody makes a tackle and the Cardinals wind up punting or turning the ball over on downs that drive the the stats look a lot different so I'm not going to erase the entire 49ers defense reputation off of basically one play uh, that, that's just, and and like you said, Richard, the, the way Richard Sherman was talking after the game, I have a hard time believing that's something that is a mistake. They're going to make twice.
2: Right. And, and just here's, here's the breakdown real quick. The, the Cardinals had the touchdown on their opening drive. Then they had four straight punts
1: mm-hmm. in the
2: first half, right? Then they have a touchdown on their first drive of the second half. They punt field goal and a touchdown. Um, so I do tend to think it was more about the short week and going against an uptempo team and things like that. than it was, you know, really about the 49 ers shortcomings, but, um, you know, Richard Sherman is, is definitely the type of person who looks at any sort of fuel he can find to use that as self-motivation and, and a way to, to get his teammates up, um, for an important game. So, uh, I understand where Sherman's coming from and why he would be so pissed off about the way that game went. But yeah, I'm not really worried about the defense at all, mostly because I do think they're going to have plenty of time to to get their legs underneath them with the long week, the, the mini bye that they have, you know, playing Monday night football after that Thursday game. Um, and there's certainly going to be plenty of energy for that Monday night game at home against the Seahawks, a team that you've beaten just once. Since twenty what, 2012, 2013, I'd have to go back and look. But, yeah. yeah, not too worried about the defense. Let's talk about the running game really quick. Um, 101 yards on 31 carries, 3.3-yard 3. 3 average. Matt Breida was productive, 78 yards on 15 runs, uh, over 5 yards a carry. Tevin Coleman, after that huge game against the Panthers, 1.9 yards per carry, uh, 12 runs, 23 yards, no touchdowns. So look, I, I think the running game is probably going to be good more times than not, but I think there are going to be games like this where teams overload against it and um and it's not going to be as effective as it has been and and you know, the 49ers have had a few games where they've run for over 200 yards and totally dominated that way, but um it's not going to happen every week. So the fact that they know Garoppolo can win games with his arm uh Again, is is probably the most important thing coming out of Thursday.
1: Yeah, it's, it was my biggest takeaway, and the thing I think that we're gonna we're gonna take uh, forward through the rest of the year for sure. All right, before we talk about
2: winners and losers, let's take a quick break. All right, the holidays are almost here, and you know what that means, gifts. And what better gift to give the guy in your life than a stylish shirt that fits just right? Unlike most brands, Untuckit shirts are actually designed to be worn untucked. Untuckit shirts always fall in ju- at just the right length, no matter the size. So he looks casual and sharp. So I actually wore my Untuckit shirt thursday night in arizona and and it was really perfect because it was a little bit chilly out there uh it wasn't as hot as you typically would think it would be in arizona and uh and the untucked shirt was perfect uh it's a thicker cotton it's really comfortable it doesn't wrinkle um you can wash it you can dry it Uh, you don't have to iron it so uh can't recommend the untucked shirts enough um with more than fifty plus fit combinations, untucket shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. Um, I thought my I wear an XL and I thought it fit really well. And sometimes when uh, when you buy when you buy long sleeve button down shirts, they'll be really long for, for whatever reason and they don't always fit well. I didn't have that problem at all. With my Untuck It shirt. So, you guys can find your favorite Untuck It style online or check out one of their 80 brick and mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle free button down, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is so easy to use, they even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So, whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, untuckit is the way to go visit untuckit.com and use promo code blue for 20% off at checkout that is no small discount that's untuckit.com slash blue for 20% off so you could save a pretty significant chunk of change particularly if you're buying multiple shirts so can't recommend it enough untuckit.com promo code blue
1: for 20% off at checkout Support for Blue Wire comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. When I was younger and I first started uh, started having to manscape, I didn't look up on the internet how to do it first. I was like, "Great, I'll just take a razor and just go to town." that didn't work dude <laughs> it uh it did not end well for your boy and this is when i was playing tournament baseball so it was practice two days a week and then i'd have to go play four five six games in a weekend and that didn't feel great um having uh various cuts throughout uh my manscaped regions. Did not make for uh, for easy baseball playing, but that's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. Manscaped big accidents are finally a thing of the past. And don't use, but this is <laughs> this is the most important thing I'm going to say. Don't use the, <laughs> it's true. Don't use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls. That's just nasty. Nastier even than the stiff arm George Kittle put on Buda Baker during his touchdown run. Manscaped also has the crop preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant, and moisturizer. Everybody needs that. You know you do. You can deny that you do, but you know you need it. You already put deodorant <laughs> on your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? See, these are just facts. Don't forget the call action. I'm not going to. Because that would I would be doing a disservice to our listeners by not letting them know what they can get. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code BLUEWIRE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BLUEWIRE. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BLUEWIRE at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you.
2: All right, so let's go through winners and losers. Obviously, Kyle's a winner um, for his manscaping game. But let's talk about Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, He was the first 49ers receiver this year to have 100 yards. The chemistry with Jimmy Garoppolo is, is clearly notable, given the fact that when they played Tuesday. I think what Emmanuel Sanders does is really just allows the 49ers to unlock everything else they want to do offensively because they have a receiver now that Jimmy Garoppolo clearly trusts more than he does the other guys. And and the other guys, meaning Dante Pettis, Debo Samuel, and, and Marquise Goodwin, who was a healthy scratch, um, and maybe might have a hard time uh, getting back into the lineup now So I think what what Sanders does for the offense is sort of unlocks what what they want to do from a schematic standpoint, because Jimmy Garoppolo finally has a receiver or a pass catcher other than George Kittle that he really trusts. Right. So now the 49ers have multiple options in important scenarios where it was pretty clear that he didn't have full trust in Dante Pettis or Debo Samuel or maybe maybe even Marquise Goodwin to a certain extent. And Goodwin was a healthy scratch for the first time all year on Thursday, um, which could be an indication that with Sanders' arrival, it might be difficult for Goodwin to get back into the starting lineup, which might be a notable thing to watch given that, you know, Kendrick Bourne has caught a touchdown pass and and he's been relatively reliable this year. But, uh, Kyle, you, you had some thoughts about Sanders that you wanted to talk about beforehand.
1: Yeah, I... I went back and I, and I looked at, at what Jimmy Garoppolo was doing before Emmanuel Sanders arrived in San Francisco and what he's done after. So Garoppolo wasn't bad before Sanders got there. He was completing 68.3% of his throws. He was averaging 219 yards per game. And in those six games, he had seven touchdowns and six interceptions. That's a 90.8 passer rating, 7.9 yards per attempt. Not Not bad, but also not like good. That's not, those aren't really like Super Bowl quarterback numbers typically. And that's the reason people thought Garoppolo needed to make this jump. Well, in Sanders' two games, Garoppolo is completing 78% of his throws. So his completion rate has gone up 10%. He's going for 246 yards a game. He has six touchdowns to just one interception. That's a 128.2 rating. And he's at 8.3 yards per attempt. The 49ers are also six of seven in the red zone since Sanders arrived. They've gone from number 29, sub 40%. Now they're up near 50% and they're ranked number 24 in the league. And Sanders has caught two of those uh, touchdown passes in the red zone, by the way. But I know it's a small sample size, but it really speaks to when the Niners acquired Sanders. It wasn't AJ Green. It wasn't it wasn't Stefan Diggs or whatever other big name receiver was floated as as possibly being available. But Sanders does all the things that the 49ers have been missing in the receiving core. He he gets open in in tight spaces. That that third down throw, the one you mentioned, uh, that Garoppolo kind of zipped in from, from an off-platform uh, base. It was one where Sanders was triple covered but still found uh just a little a little spot to sit down. And Garoppolo anticipated the throw. He seems to be on the same page or they seem to be on the same page. And it's just Sanders feels like the one like like he's the player we thought Dante Pettis would be this year. He's the player that thought the 49ers were getting when they drafted Debo Samuel only He's better at at the things that we thought those guys were going to be good at. And I know he's not the 6'3", 220-pound, 4'3"-speed player a guy like D.K. Metcalf is or Julio Jones or, or whatever physical specimen you want to bring up, but he is just a very good receiver who understands leverage and who knows how to get open, and I think that's going to really open up uh, the 49ers passing attack in a way we haven't seen since, since Shanahan arrived.
2: And another thing I think it'll do, it, it'll allow those other guys to settle into roles. Like yes. they, like Dante Pettis won't feel pressure to be the number one receiver like a lot of people thought he would be. And, and I don't know that that's necessarily been a factor in Pettis not being all that productive. But I think it'll help just knowing like, all right, George Kittle and Emmanuel Sanders are clearly going to be the focal points of opposing defenses, which could create some opportunities for me in one-on-one matchups, and and with Kyle Shanahan scheming things up as well as he does, that Pettis could be put in favorable spots like he was on that touchdown that he scored where he was basically uncovered um, because Patrick Peterson basically blew the coverage. Uh, and and I, I do like Pettis' thriller dance. I thought that was, uh, was well-executed, well-timed, um, just a quality touchdown celebration from him. But speaking of Patrick Peterson, he's a loser this week. Um, you know, somebody that I think is widely considered one of the best cornerbacks in the league, and and I haven't really paid attention how he's been playing this season, but I know he wasn't very good on Thursday. The 49ers completed six of the seven times he was targeted, and it just wasn't a great night for Peterson, who, you know, was, was the most targeted uh player in the Cardinals secondary and I would expect him to be better when he comes back to, to the Bay Area to play the 49ers in a couple weeks um, but it was notable given that you know this Patrick Peterson is a really good player um, and you would think that Emmanuel Sanders would struggle against him but the fact Emmanuel Sanders did as well as he did particularly against Peterson in coverage speaks to how well Sanders is adjusting to his new team quickly and it might also be probably Problematic for the Cardinals if their high pi- high-priced cornerback is not playing well, um, and is exposed like he was on Thursday.
1: Yeah, Kingsbury mentioned, I think today Monday, that basically Peterson just is getting old and didn't didn't recover in time to to play at a high level on a, on a Thursday night. And we could get into a whole thing about Thursday night football games, but I think there's something to be said for that. I think there's something to be said for that for Richard Sherman too. We talked about a little bit earlier, but Mm -hmm. um, was it, I can't remember if it was on this podcast that I mentioned when I talked to Troy Brown, the former Patriots receiver, he mentioned like Thursday nights are really hard to get up for after you turn 30. And um, I, I think the 49ers took full advantage of something like that with, with Peterson for sure. Because like you said, he was, he was not very good.
2: Patrick Peterson is 29. He See? turns 30 in July. Told you. Yeah. <laughs> he has one inter- one interception this I season. He's 30 already. He's not. Um, oh, he was suspended. Right. That's right. That was only his third game of the year. Okay. Well, Patrick Peterson's a loser because uh, loser this week for this podcast. He's had- he's a great player who's had a great career. I'm not calling him a loser he's just in this segment he's a loser uh winner a bad game he had a bad game uh kyler murray had a good game he's a winner this week uh i think statistically it was his best game as a pro admittedly i haven't watched all of kyler murray's games but there was a point in the second half where you're like this guy this guy can be a problem he completed 17 of 24 240 yard 241 yards uh over 10 yards per attempt which is fantastic two touchdowns no interceptions it was it was the first time the 49ers had not forced a takeaway this season which is notable uh, 100, 137 130.7 rating was the best of Murray's career to date you could see why he was the number 1 overall pick just what he can do with his legs uh, from a scrambling standpoint the arm strength the accuracy um he he has all of the tools that you want from a franchise quarterback and and I was really impressed, particularly with the way he played in the second half um, against the, the the Niners' defense that was that was struggling to to you know keep its breath as the Cardinals went up tempo. But I, I do think Murray is is going to be a problem for a long time in the league. Um, I you know I know it's it's cheap and maybe a little bit easy to make the Russell Wilson comparisons, but I do think there there are going to be similarities between their games. I think. Murray is probably a better athlete and and faster and a little bit more elusive. Um, And Wilson's obviously a better thrower in terms of accuracy at this point. But in terms of arm strength and, and just the ability to spin it, Murray might have more arm talent than Wilson. It's just, you know, obviously the experience is a little bit different. But, man, you look at the NFC West and, you know, depending on how you feel about Jared Goff, there are at least it looks like three, possibly four really good franchise quarterbacks. Yeah. In the NFC West, which uh which could make things fun here going forward.
1: Yeah, the 49ers get get Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, and then Kyler Murray again the following week. So it it's it's gonna be fascinating to see a kind of the, the similarities and differences between those two guys, but uh I, I'm I'm with you. Not only do I think Murray is a little more physically talented than Wilson, and that's not a knock on Wilson, he's an incredible player. He's
2: yeah, the MVP. Yeah. Right.
1: Yes, I. That's not not a debate for me. Uh, I think Murray might be more physically talented, and he's in a better offense. Like he's just in a more uh, well-designed offense that's conducive for offense for for success for a quarterback. And like you said, it's it's not the last the 49ers are going to see him for sure.
2: All right, let's move on to our lo- our next loser. Uh, Debo Samuel dropped a touchdown. Uh, it didn't turn out to hurt the 49ers because they ended up scoring before the second half anyway on Emmanuel Sanders play on fourth and one. Um, actually, you can make the case that Cliff Kingsbury is a loser for the way he managed that game, but that's Oof. another. We Actually, yeah, let's actually talk about that because we don't. I don't have much to say about Debo Samuel. I think he's going to be fine. Just a bad touchdown drop. I think he's had a couple um, false starts the last couple weeks, which is problematic, obviously. Um, but yeah, let's let's convert this to, uh, to Cliff Kingsbury as a loser because he calls a timeout just before halftime when the Cardinals stopped Jeff Wilson Jr. on fourth down and essentially would have meant the 49ers came away with zero points there just before the half where instead they grant the timeout to Kingsbury. The Niners get a touchdown and they end up win- winning the game by three points. And that's not to say that Um, Kingsbury's snafu was the reason that the Cardinals lost because I do think there's a chance the 49ers probably still win that game regardless. Pretty good chance. But that is, that was like, I I do think Kingsbury, I, I, I am intrigued by his offense, but in terms of operating a game and time management and timeouts from a coaching perspective, it wasn't great for him. And he had that challenge on third down. Uh, Late in the game on Tevin Coleman on a pitch near the sideline. It just looked like on replay that there was no conclusive evidence to even consider changing that call. And he burned a timeout that obviously he could have used. Not, not super impressed with Kingsbury, the game manager, I was impressed with his offense, but we're gonna have to see how he handles time management because that's obviously a huge, huge thing in the NFL for coaches.
1: Yeah, you can't just you can't just waste timeouts in in late in games like that. And that's partially on him, that's partially on the the people upstairs who are telling him where their challenge I'm I, I'm not out on Cliff Kingsbury because of that. And I don't think it's the reason they lost necessarily, but it's one of those things where if if you start making a couple of mistakes like that in big moments, that reputation is going to stick with you forever. So uh, it's it's just one of those things that you chalk it up to him being a rookie coach and becomes a problem if he starts doing that kind of stuff in years two, three. and, and Well, be
2: it, up. it things like that remind you about the fact that he was below 500 as a college coach. Right. Right. Yep. So yeah. anyway, um, losers, Debo Samuel slash Cliff Kingsbury winner. Uh, Ross Dwelly game ceiling mm-hmm. catch. Uh, George Kittle's hurt, and like Emmanuel Mosley and Justin School and Daniel Brunskill, an undrafted, no name reserve filling in for a key starter makes a play. And it's been one of the underlying themes of the season: is the depth the 49ers have created through the first three years. Of Kyle Shanahan's regime, just in terms of the foundation and and the way they've been able to plug in backup players, which doesn't happen early on in the coaching tenure. and And I, I think this sort of speaks to the broader point. like we live in a culture where everybody wants everyone fired. No, like continuity is important, and this is why. Um, so Rost has has come in filled in, you know, he's not nearly this type of blocker as Kyle Yocheck is, but, He's allowed the 49ers to do some of the same things offensively without a huge drop off, which has been important. And then being able to make the play that seals the game with George Kittle on the sideline. Obviously huge. He came into the game with five catches for minus one yard. And Kyle Shanahan joked about it afterwards that their goal was to was to pr- not only win the game, but improve Ross average catch <laughs> uh, yardage totals. Which is, which is kind of funny. So four catches, 29 yards, including that one where he spins off a defender to get the first down. The entire sideline went crazy when Dwelly did that. Um, so yeah, Ross Dwelly's a winner, filling in for George Kittle and uh, and showing off the depth that the 49ers have, have kind of created here.
1: Yeah, they they needed somebody to step up, and that's, that's just one of those things. The Niners haven't had that player really over the last few seasons, you know, Garrett Selick's had a couple of plays here and there, but if it feels like if it hasn't been George Kittle, it's been nobody. And so for specifically somebody to step in for George Kittle, who was out with a knee injury, for somebody to step in and make a play like that, it just, again, it's just a microcosm of why the 49ers are so much better this season, because they do have multiple players who can go make a play in a, in a, in a moment like that.
2: And you wonder too, what things could look like if and when you get Trent Taylor back, which could happen later this month. Um, and Jalen Hurd. And and I don't know if Jalen Hurd's gonna play this season because obviously a fracture in your back is a is a significant thing, but you know, you're you're there there's still reinforcements coming in terms of depth at at pass catchers. So the 49ers could be in a pretty good spot here as as they get healthier. And uh and so we'll see how that goes. But Ross Dwelly, winner, uh last loser of the podcast the New England Patriots losing 37 to 20 uh the 49ers are the only undefeated team in the league because of that loss I only watched the second half of the game um I don't have a ton of thoughts on it other than the fact that Lamar Jackson is a serious problem and you know I don't know how how sustainable it is over multiple seasons but I'm really impressed with what for, former 49ers coordinator Greg Roman is doing with that offense and with Jackson's legs and the fact that they're able to beat a really really good Patriots team perhaps a historically good Patriots team at least on the defensive side to hang 37 on them and win by 17 points is really really impressive and uh, so the Patriots are a loser from that standpoint also um, it adds to the intrigue surrounding the 49ers trip to play Baltimore the first weekend in December right after Thanksgiving. Yep. That is going to be a fascinating game and uh it looks like it might even be um I don't know if it's going to be tougher than the New Orleans game, but just the fact the 49ers have to go to Baltimore and then to New Orleans in back-to-back weeks is uh is going to be really tough and given the fact that they, you know, the 49ers are going to need home field advantage in the playoffs, those two games are going to be massive. Um which is, uh, which is a segue
1: from, from calling the Patriots losers here to end the pod. <laughs> well, it just, it, it just goes to show, like, if you just track the Team A beat Team B and Team B beat Team C, so Team A is better than Team C, that whole thing. Transitive like, property. The transitive property, yeah. That obviously doesn't apply in the NFL, but the Patriots losing to the Ravens just kind of really highlights how hard it is to win in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And how when the 49ers, they start eight now, people say, who have they played? Like they played eight NFL teams. The Ravens beat the Patriots, but the Ravens also lost at home to the Browns, who were two and six. And then the Packers went down to Los Angeles and got blown out by the Chargers, like got thoroughly walloped by the Chargers, who aren't particularly good this year, or at least they haven't been to this point. And so I thought this weekend was a really good illustration of like, it doesn't matter how you win and who you're beating in the NFL. Like any given Sunday, I know that's such a cliche, but it's, it's true. The dolphins beat the jets who beat the Cowboys like the Like it's just the, the NFL is wild. And so for the, the 49ers to start eight and oh, I think this weekend in particular, really showed um, how difficult that is to do.
2: Yeah. Bill Parcells, you know, always said you are what your record says you are. Yep. So, you know, if, if you're into resumes and who beat who and and all of that, then maybe college football is your thing um, because the league is all about just winning games and that's really the most important thing. So I know there's a lot of discussion about who the 49ers have and haven't played, Um it's going to get tougher from here on out. So the the good thing, and we've said it before is, is about the remaining part of their schedule. We're going to know exactly how good the 49ers are because they have the Seahawks Monday. Uh, and and then again, week 17, they have the Packers at home in a couple of weeks. Um, and then they have those trips to Baltimore, new Orleans. And they also have uh, another game against the Rams coming up in December too. Um, an easier one against the Falcons uh, and also the Cardinals again, but, you know, there's no there's no coasting in the in the NFL to to a an easy record. It's it's not like Bama uh, scheduling Appalachian State or anything like that. Like this is uh, it's the NFL. All the teams are good. So let's get to our uh, our final our final segment of the podcast. The we're gonna give out the award. How did they survive without the Moore Award?
1: Kyle, who's your vote? Who are you giving it to? I think you've got, I mean, you, you've got it on the rundown and it's the right answer. It's, it's Jimmy Garoppolo. (laughs) Although I do want to, I do want a special shout out to Emmanuel Sanders. Um, I was talking to, to Bonte Hill also of 95, seven, the game. And he said, they don't win that game without Emmanuel Sanders. And I think that's right. Like, obviously Jimmy Garoppolo needed to be really good, but I think if you take Emmanuel Sanders out, um, I, I, I'm not certain the 49ers are able to beat the Cardinals.
2: That's a good point, uh, Manuel Sanders. I know he had a hundred. Yeah, so seven catches, nine targets. He was the most targeted player on the team. 112 yards, 16 yards of reception, a tutty. He had the he had the fourth a down tiger, touchdown. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that that is a good call. But yeah, I think it, the the they survived without Demontre more because of Jimmy Garoppolo. Ultimately, who was probably the MVP of the game. But the point about Sanders is a great one, and just the fact that he's he's seems so happy to be on this team in an offense that suits him perfectly with a quarterback. He seems to really like, um, in a winning environment. Uh, he talks about energy. He's, he's a big energy guy and, uh, and he really likes the energy around the team. So we'll have to see if that leads to him re-signing or what, but, um, yeah, I think that's it. You, you have any other, uh, any tidbits or takes you want to, you want to drop? on us before we uh, before we jet out of here
1: i'm saving them for thursday okay. so yeah wow you're good at those teases huh i sure am i also okay. am afraid that our technology is going to crap out so
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh we yeah we sat down to record this podcast a couple hours ago and now we're just finishing because we've had so many different technical issues so thanks for sticking with us we will preview the seahawks game later in the week until then we will talk to you later